Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers who we quote often here, said, Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. And church, in the year of our Lord 2020, especially after the death of George Floyd, Christians were confronted with a lot of things that were almost right. As the organization and the hashtag Black Lives Matter grew in power and in influence, Christians and churches were confronted with whether or not they should support the hashtag, whether or not they should support the organization, and whether or not simply staying silent on the issue of race actually made them as guilty as the person kneeling on another image bearer's neck. What we see with false teaching and what we see with false gospels is that they are so attractive and so popular is because they have a lot of truth to them, and yet something about them is just kind of twisted. Something just isn't quite right. Something is missing about them. And what is needed in those situations is biblical wisdom and spiritual discernment to distinguish the right from the almost right. And church, this morning we are going to see that there are some false gospels being proclaimed in our world that promise to heal the hostility that exists in the human heart. And they sound nice. They seem almost right. But may God give us wisdom from his word and may God give us the power of the Holy Spirit to discern these things. To be able to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope hearts of hatred and hostility have to be healed. And so this morning, it is my privilege to bring you good news of great joy that is for all people, red, yellow, black, and white, for all are precious in his sight, as the song goes. And so let's pray, let's ask God to help us see the difference between the right gospel and the almost right gospel, so that our hostility might be healed. Let's pray. Father, we do come before your word this morning, wanting to be transformed by it. Father, I ask that none of us would leave here the same as we were when we walked in. Father, we ask that you would give us this wisdom from your word. We ask that your spirit would give us spiritual discernment to see what is true and what is false. Father, we pray for protection for your people, for this people specifically, God, that you would guard our hearts and minds in these times. Lord, we ask for protection physically. Uh, We ask that you would, uh, Lord, bring an end to this COVID-19 virus and all the, the fallout from it. We ask that you would give our civil leaders wisdom as they make decisions uh, for our, our country and our state and our city. Father, we ask that you would give church leaders a wisdom and courage as they make decisions as to what's best for their people. Father, we ask that you give our households wisdom and peace in this, in this time. Lord, what, we need to hear from your word. We need to hear from you this morning. And so, Father, I ask that you would uh, not allow me to stand in the way at all, but Lord, help, help me point your people to your word, that we might enjoy it and treasure it and cherish it, that it might be bring refreshment to your people. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 is where we're going to start. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Last week, you'll remember, we went a bit out of chronological order, but we saw how the wise men from the east, the magi, had come to worship toddler Jesus. And these wise men, they were, they were rulers of civil governments, and they came and bowed their knee to Jesus. And in that, in that setting, in that picture of seeing these rulers come to bow their knee to Jesus, we saw how the news of Jesus' birth, it was good news for the prominent and the powerful and the wealthy people that rulers and leaders will come and bow their knee to Jesus. However, this week now we're seeing that the birth of Jesus is also good news for the common, the non-powerful, and these poor shepherds. The birth of Jesus Christ is not just good news of great joy for some people. It is good news of great joy for all people. And this birth announcement is actually brought to the shepherds first. Now, you've got to understand something about shepherds. Shepherds were not a highly thought of group of people. Unlike the shepherds at this church, who we think very highly of. Uh, but the shepherds back then were not as highly thought of, okay? Uh, they were a little rough around the edges. Uh, many lived outdoors, right? They're taking care of sheep. They were dirty. They were drifters, kind of moving around from place to place with their sheep. They had a reputation of even of being thieves. Shepherds were considered unreliable, they weren't even allowed to give a testimony in a legal court because simply being a shepherd disqualified you from being able to give a legal testimony. But here we see the birth of Jesus Christ is not just good news of great joy for some people, not just good news of great joy for the powerful and the well thought of. This is good news of great joy even for shepherds. Shepherds. You see, without the Christian worldview... This concept that there can be good news for all people, this is a foreign concept, okay? The, the, the idea of equal rights, the idea that every human being has worth and value and dignity, like where do you think that comes from? Darwin did not get us there. That, that is from a Christian worldview that even puts that concept into our minds that equal rights and equal worth and dignity, it should be something that we strive for. Apart from Christianity, the strong can just do whatever they want to do to survive, right? Survival of the fittest. The, the, weak, the weak should just be used and abused. And here's where a lot of false teaching and false gospels get off track. They start with a very biblical and Christian concept, like the one that every human being should have equal value and worth because they are an image bearer of God, which we would say yes and amen to that. That is a biblical Christian truth. But then false teaching and false gospels get off track when they try to pursue that equality in an unbiblical way. And pursuing the kingdom without the king will always get you off track. It will always produce a message that is almost right. But it will not be a message that is good for all people. 
Only God understands how to produce a message that can be good news for all people. This is, this is hard in our humanity to even think up a way that something can be good news for everyone. For example, I was at an NBA game. This was years ago. Uh, it was a Lakers game out at the Staples Center. And they had a deal that night that if the Lakers reached 100 points, everyone got a free taco if they took their ticket to Taco Bell or something like that, okay? And so it was a blowout, uh, but the Lakers hadn't yet reached 100 points. And towards the end of the fourth quarter, I mean, the crowd just starts chanting, like, tacos, tacos. Like, like, yes, keep running up the score. Like, because at 100, everyone gets a free taco. Now that's good news, right? That's good news. And I, and I, I realized as I'm saying that, I made a preacher 101 mistake. I mentioned food in the first half of the sermon. That was like... Uh, so forgive me. Don't don't go off to Taco Land quite yet. All right, come back to me. But but that was that was good news for some people. But that was not good news for for all people. Like that's not good news for whoever has to pay for that. That's not good news for the the hourly employee at Taco Bell who just has the whole Staples Center show up at their drive-through. That's not good news for them. Good news for all people is a very rare thing to find. And really only God and his wisdom understands how to give us good news that can be good news for all people. And therefore, what we've seen happen with Black Lives Matter as well as critical race theorists is that they have proposed to us that we should see people in the world in either one of two categories, either the oppressed or the oppressor. Either see them as being in this privileged group or this victim group. Because you see, in their gospel and in their wisdom, they can't figure out how to make good news for all people. So they've kind of abandoned that idea altogether. And instead, they've come up with a way to divide humanity and preach a gospel that is good news of great joy for some people. But the true gospel is so much better than that. The true gospel is good news of great joy for all people. All people. Now what's interesting about these specific shepherds is the region that they are in. And one of the rules of the rabbis of that time was that any animal found between Jerusalem and Bethlehem was presumed to be a sacrificial lamb for the temple. So these shepherds were taking care of a flock whose lambs were being raised to be sacrifices in the temple. Every morning, every evening, a lamb was sacrificed in the temple for the sins of the people. And here, as the shepherds are watching over these flocks by night, an angel appears and tells the shepherds that the one, the one that all these sacrificial lambs have been pointing us to is finally here. And John the Baptist would later say of Jesus in John 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God is here. He's arrived. You see, sinners down deep in their heart know that a sacrifice is required for sin. 
As image bearers of God, we have this, this longing for justice, right? We are, we are unsettled by any injustice that exists in the world, and we want to make it right. This is the stamp of God's image on our hearts and our minds. We instinctively know justice, and we know injustice when we see it. We want to make it right. We know that sin requires a sacrifice. And therefore, we have seen people take to the streets not to have reasonable, rational debates about policy and reform. They have taken to the streets seeking blood. You see, we as Christians, we have to be wise. We have to be spiritually discerning. We have to be able to see what's kind of happening underneath all this, what's happening in the hearts of people. People want someone to pay for sin and the injustice that they see in the world. And that's a, that's a good God-given thing. But the reason that things in the streets and in our cities escalated so dramatically this year is because these were not reformers seeking reform. These were worshipers seeking a sacrifice. We live in a land where the majority of people do not worship Jesus, but human beings by nature are worshipers, and therefore we will worship someone or something. We will. We are worshipers at our core. Politics and ideologies are so emotionally charged in the year of our Lord 2020 because they are no longer topics to be discussed. They are idols that are worshipped. Now, apart from Christ, we don't know what or who we need to sacrifice, but we know that sin needs a sacrifice. And so we've seen the world look for some sacrificial lambs. Maybe, maybe the police will be the sacrificial lamb that'll take away the sins of the world. Let's sacrifice them and let's just, let's see what happens. Maybe the white man can be the sacrificial lamb that can take away the sins of the world. Let's sacrifice him and, and see what happens. Maybe it's the government that we can just sacrifice and, and pursue anarchy or, or these things. Uh, maybe at some point society turns on the Christian and says, maybe it's the Christian that needs to be sacrificed, and that will do away with all these problems we have in our world. Maybe we sacrifice our kids at the abortion clinics and that will free us from to be sexually free and that, that will solve all the problems we have in the world. We are looking for a sacrificial lamb and when we don't, when Jesus isn't that, we find it somewhere else. But church, the good news of great joy for all people is that you know what First Peter 1 says verse 18 says that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the only hope you have to be redeemed from your sin and healed of the hostility that is in your heart. The only hope for that is the precious blood of Christ. 
And so therefore, believer, when the next event happens that the media puts into our faces and cries out for blood, our first cry should not be for blood because we've already been ransomed from the pre- with the precious blood of Christ, but instead we can respond with biblical wisdom and compassion. We don't have to respond with a cry for blood and immediate justice to, to satisfy that instant gratification that we want. We can respond instead with biblical wisdom and compassion. We can respond with biblical wisdom from the word like Proverbs 18.13, which says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. How many of us and how many Christians, out of fear that their silence was somehow evidence of them being a racist, they were really quick to speak about some of these things before really hearing and listening to what was going on. James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. When we don't have to cry out for blood, we can respond with biblical wisdom. Such wisdom is like Proverbs eighteen seventeen, which says the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Christians should want to give people a fair trial regardless of skin color. Having witnesses come forth and allowing them to be cross-examined and to have a jury decide a verdict instead of a mob, that is not a race thing. That is a Christian thing. That is a biblical wisdom thing. But let me ask you, this year, when you heard the news, did biblical wisdom guide your responses? Could you say, I'm responding this way because of this proverb or because of this verse? And if not, I'm not trying to just to heap guilt on you for not responding in biblical wisdom, but instead encourage you, are you getting yourself ready for the next life event that will require you to respond with biblical wisdom and compassion? Right? If Jesus is the Lamb of God, our first cry does not have to be for blood, but it can st- instead re- we can respond with biblical wisdom and compassion. But wisdom and compassion have to be coupled. Something that I got to benefit from this year was to be on some Zoom calls with other pastors in our church planting network. It was, you know, we were called Sojourn Network, now it's Harbor Network. And I would on occasion every couple of months be on a Zoom call with 20 or 30 other pastors from around the country that were also in their first years of church planting. Uh, This group is made up of people from different ethnicities, some living in the city, some living in the country. Uh, Kind of, it was great to just hear what was happening at all these different places. And my fellow pastors who are black, they shared about how these events had affected them. And how they certainly weren't necessarily wanting to align themselves with Black Lives Matter. They weren't trying to encourage riots or anything like that. But they shared with me how these stories, how these, these stories of black people being killed, it brought back for them some painful memories from historic racism that maybe their families had experienced from hearing from their grandparents or their parents or even some of the hate that they had experienced in their own life. And those conversations really helped open up my eyes to see that, yes, 
We need to respond in a biblically wise way, but our response should also be with compassion. Romans 12, verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Weep with those who weep. When we see or hear of tragic loss of life, as Christians, we should weep with those who weep. And that doesn't make you a cultural Marxist or whatever someone's going to label you as when you weep with those who weep. That is a Christian biblical thing, to weep with those who weep. Because I think as we continue to see things play out on the news, we could have been prone to kind of see the rioters and just become so angry and upset with them that we forgot that we had brothers and sisters in Christ who were at home, not supporting the riots, but they were at home weeping and mourning the wounds that hatred and racism had caused in their life and in their family's life. When you hear the news, do you respond with biblical compassion? Wisdom and compassion is what is required of us. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we don't have to respond the way the media or the way our social media feeds tell us to, but instead with biblical wisdom and compassion. But you have to have both. And what we saw was many Christians driven by compassion and not wisdom. They linked arms with Black Lives Matter or other social justice groups because of false gospels that were being taught. And a lot of times with this false teaching and these false gospels that enter in, they use biblical words, but they change the definitions of those words. So they use words that sound Christian and sound like we should be on board with them, like love and justice and compassion and unity. And those sound like Christian words, but they change and twist those definitions. Now, we're not going to get a ton into the organization Black Lives Matter, okay? I can talk to you more one-on-one if you would like. My main beef with that organization is not even necessarily the, the... the Marxist whatever approach uh, that they're taking. Uh, It's actually, I think, a much more deeper concern I have with them that's on a spiritual level, uh, where a few of the founders have done certain interviews talking about their spirituality, talking about their, uh, the, the practice of Yoruba, a religion from West Africa that, that incites up uh, ancestral spirits. And uh, they, they share about how even that phrase, you know, say their name, that started with trying to incite uh, those deceased spirits to come back and be a part of the movement, okay? And so I think there's definitely a spiritual demonic aspect, at least with some of the core founders, But what we must always go back to when we hear new teaching or new movements or new groups, we must always go back to and try to define things biblically. Biblically. But a lot of people are misled when social justice groups use Christian words but don't define those words biblically. Probably the most common one is the idea that God is love, and that oftentimes gets switched to love is God, right? And we have to go back and define, no, God is love. And really, race is one of those things that we need to define biblically as well. Because our culture has tried to define it for us by simply making it all about skin color. 
right? Like you're either black or you're white. It doesn't matter if you're a white person living in the hills of West Virginia or living in Beverly Hills or whether you're an immigrant from Croatia or you moved here from Argentina or you grew up your whole life in Franklin, you are white and that's your race. And that is an oversimplification of things. In reality, we'd look at all those people and understand them to be all very different. But we've been lied to and told that, no, you are either white or black. That is race. But really, the more biblical term that we should be using is the word ethnicity. Ethnicity. Acts 17, verse 26, God's word said, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. That word nation is the Greek word ethnos, from which we get our English word ethnicity. All ethnicities come from God. They are created in his image. They consist of specific languages and cultures and histories and traditions that are all a part of their ethnicity, and they should not be simplified down to the amount of melanin in your skin. But then the year of our Lord 2020 happens, and we are confronted with questions like, what is racism? Is there systemic racism? Are white kids in the hills of West Virginia really more privileged than LeBron James's kids because of their skin color? Some companies and schools are now teaching with curriculum that say, if your skin is white, you are a racist. Now, I would argue that is an unbiblical way to understand racism. A biblical way to understand racism is to understand it in terms of it being malice, hostility or hatred, which the Bible certainly does speak against, it is malice, hostility, or hatred towards another because of their ethnicity. That would be a biblical definition of racism that certainly we would call a sin. God calls a sin. Or it would be a pride, an arrogance, or a feeling of superiority because of your own ethnicity. All right, so it's a, it's a malice, it's a hatred, it's a hostility towards another because of their ethnicity, or it's a pride, an arrogance, a feeling of superiority because of your ethnicity, and both of those are sinful. And church, if you have hate in your heart towards another person because of their ethnicity, you need to repent. Need to repent. But the true gospel that is good news for all people also presents the bad news and the call to repent to all people. White people, yes, should be called to repent, not of their whiteness, but if there is hatred or pride in their heart because of their ethnicity. But critical race theory says that those who belong to the oppressed classes cannot, by definition, be guilty of anything. And that's not what God's word teaches. God's word teaches, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. People must understand that they are not righteous merely because of the color of their skin. That's a false gospel. But that we should all repent of any hatred or pride that is in our heart. We as believers, we should stand against and speak against any sort of hatred or hostility towards other ethnicities. We should stand against and speak against any pride or superiority because of our own ethnicity. 
our country and really our world should grieve over the horrors of slavery, which are still happening all over the world today. We should grieve over the evils of the Jim Crow laws that were in America that legalized racial segregation. But what we saw play out in the civil rights movement that many believers of different ethnicities pursued, they pursued equal rights based on the fact that all human beings are made in the image of God. Yes and amen to that. But what we see in the movement today of Black Lives Matter is not a desire for equal rights. It is a desire for special rights. It's not a desire for biblical reconciliation. It's a desire for sinful retribution. They have removed God and his wise word from the equation, and by doing so, they are not able to heal the hatred and pride that exists in people's hearts, but they are actually stirring more of it up. They are trying to heal hostility with more hostility, and this false gospel will not produce the healing that all, ethnicity, all ethnicities need. Hostility is only healed when sin is called out, when it is repented of, and when it is forgiven by grace through faith in the Lamb of God. Hostility is only healed when it is nailed to the cross of Christ. Hostility is only healed when we are saved from it. Church, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. And this was the good news of great joy that the angels proclaimed to the shepherds that night in Bethlehem. Look back at Luke 2, verse 11. Luke 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is good news of great joy for all people because Jesus is Savior. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. Understand that these names or titles of Jesus, they teach us a lot about him and about ourselves. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Let's first start with the title, Savior. Savior first teaches us something about ourselves. It teaches us that we need saving. This is our ultimate need. We are not a people that just need more sensitivity training to avoid more microaggressions. The state of humanity is actually much worse than that. We are sinners in need of a Savior. Apart from Jesus the Savior, red, yellow, black, and white are all sinners in his sight. But our good God is a saving God who delivers his people from their sin who delivers his people from themselves, who delivers us from false teaching and false gospels, who delivers us from hostility and pride. But there is only one name under heaven by which you must be saved. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is also the Christ. 
Christ is the Greek uh, word for anointed one. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. The people of God had been promised by God for years and years that he would raise up a Messiah, a special deliverer from the family of Abraham that would be a blessing to the nations. All ethnicities, all tribes would be blessed through this Christ, this Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. And then we also see that Jesus is called Lord, which we're trying to remind ourselves of this Christmas, this Advent season, by titling this series, In the Year of Our Lord, that he is Lord. He, this was his year, and next year will be his year as well. The title Lord is a title of absolute sovereignty and divinity. He is fully God and fully man, two natures, one person. And there's always been different heresies that have crept into the church to try to falsely teach that either Jesus wasn't fully God or that he wasn't fully man. But the Bible teaches that he is fully God and fully man, two natures, one person. And the early church fathers addressed one of these heresies at the Council of Nicaea in the year of our Lord, 325. Church leaders gathered to hear the heretic Arius make an argument that Jesus was not an eternal being, but instead created by the Father. And the church leaders, through the councils and the creeds, they came to affirm rightly what the Bible teaches us about the nature of Christ. And one of those church leaders that was there was St. Nicholas, which seems fitting to talk about this time of year. Uh, Legend has it, at some point, St. Nicholas punches Arius in the face at the Council of Nicaea. Now, I can't, I can't confirm that, but I did read that in a book. So I don't know if you make a big deal of St. Nick this time of year. Ultimately, our celebration should be centered on Jesus. But if you do, make sure it's the theology-loving, heretic-punching version of St. Nick. Merry Christmas. But this Jesus, who was born to Mary, he's the second person of the Trinity who eternally existed, has now put on flesh to come to earth to save his people, to be a blessing to all ethnicities, and to rule and reign as Lord. Humanity needed saving, and here he is. Here's our Savior. The condition of humanity has not changed much since the writing of the Bible. Paul, when he wrote to Titus, in Titus 3, verse 3, which we'll have up on the screen, tells this to Titus. See if this maybe fits at all what you think is happening with humanity still. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Is this not an accurate description of the human condition apart from Jesus, our Savior, our Christ, and our Lord? But church, our hatred and our hostility cannot be healed until we understand where the main source of hostility really lies. We have to understand where's the, where's the source of this hostility. I think we're all, I mean, I know most of you pretty well. I think we're all on the same 
page about like, like, yeah, hatred and pride should not be a part of our lives. They need to be repented of and turned from. But, but wh- where's this main source of hostility really coming from? Recently, we noticed uh, water spots on our, our ceiling, um, which I've been told, like, you should look into that, right? That's the thing you should be aware of. And so trying to be a, a responsible adult, I was ready to just kind of paint over it or cover it up with something, uh, maybe wallpaper the ceiling to not think about it. Uh, but I, I was encouraged, no, you, you have to actually try to find the source of where this water might be leaking in from. And so I got up into the, the attic space and, you know, breathed in all the insulation, which I'm sure was good. And, and, uh, and I'm kind of crawling through, trying to not fall through the ceiling and, and create a traumatic event for the boys or the family. Um, and I, I finally then found, yeah, there was a spot in the roof. We had gotten a new roof that, that one of the vents probably wasn't sealed right, and there was a little bit of water leaking in. You see, I had to find the source of the problem. I couldn't just try to deal with the water spots on the ceiling. Now, I fully acknowledge that there are still some people who have hatred in their hearts towards other ethnicities. I realize that is still a problem. And it's a problem that should be dealt with. It's a problem that should be repented of. But really, hatred in your heart towards others are really like water spots on the ceiling. There's another source that needs to be dealt with first. Your hatred towards other people is not the main source of hostility that exists in the human heart. And Jupiter Hammond, he understood this. Maybe some of you have heard of Jupiter Hammond. He lived in the 1700s. He's known as the founder of, of African-American literature. He was born into slavery and became a preacher on Long Island. And in 1786, he gave a speech to a group of African-Americans. And he said this, He said, now you may think that you are not enemies to God and that you do not hate him. But if your heart has not been changed, if you have not become true Christians, you certainly are enemies of God and have been opposed to him ever since the day you were born. Jupiter understood some things. He understood some things about the human heart. He understood some things about hostility that exists in the hearts of human beings. And this is not primarily hostility towards other ethnicities. That's not the main hostility that needs to be dealt with. The hostility that Jesus killed by going to the cross was the hostility that existed between a holy God and sinful people. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, Paul writes this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now uh, received reconciliation. You see, churches and Christians that make racial reconciliation the main message are missing the main problem. 
And by missing the main problem, you might be able to flip some hatred in a heart to pride, but the heart problem will never be healed. And we do desire to be a church because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We do desire to be a church that becomes a, divi- a diverse group of ethnicities, a, divi- a diverse group of ages and socioeconomic classes. We believe, like we see this playing out here, that as we come to worship God and live community together, as we preach truth, that this diversity will happen. But that diversity must be the fruit of preaching truth and calling all people to repentance and faith. We call all people to repentance, regardless of their ethnicity, and then we go from there. The main problem is not that different ethnicities hate one another, and therefore the pursuit of racial reconciliation should not be the main pursuit of the church. The main problem is that people hate God. And they are hostile to him and his ways. And it is only through faith in the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, that hostility in our hearts can be killed and can be healed. Only Jesus provides good news of great joy for all people. And when this news is announced to the shepherds, they, they, they go and they proclaim this to Mary and Joseph and the others that were around town. And when they proclaim this good news, we see two responses to this message. Look, look back at Luke chapter 2. We see two responses to this message being proclaimed. Luke 2 verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. All who heard it wondered, but Mary treasured. The message of salvation provided through Jesus Christ certainly does cause everyone to stop and wonder and think about it. But Mary has chosen a more excellent way. She treasures this news. It hits everyone else's ears. It hits her heart. And she responds in a faithful and obedient way. She sees all the events surrounding the birth of Jesus and she treasures them. Church, are you treasuring this gospel? I have to believe that we would not be so easily misled or dismayed if this was the news that we treasured. You see, we oftentimes have things backward. We, we wonder what this news says, and we treasure the news uh, that we see on TV or on our social media feeds. 
But in the Christian's life, those should be reversed. Those who recognize that they were once haters of God, but have now been given peace with God because of the blood of Jesus. Church, may we be content to wonder what's on the nightly news, but may we treasure this news. May we treasure it. Church, may we treasure this good news of great joy that is for all people. Let every hostile heart prepare him room. The mob of people that we see on the news, we will continue to see on the news. They are crying out for the blood of the lamb, but they don't know his name. Will we be courageous and loving enough to tell them that it is only Jesus, it is only the Lamb of God who is powerful enough to take away the sins of the world? Surely this is good news of great joy for all people. Let's pray.